Today's episode of Behind the Numbers is brought to you by Hayfley Flanagan. Hayfley Flanagan is a full-service accounting firm that's been serving our clients since 1967. We are not your typical accounting firm. Our services extend well beyond tax and audit to include valuation services, strategic and succession planning, leadership development, and more. When you work with Hayfley Flanagan, we help you realize your long-term goals. Learn more at hfco.com or call 856-722-5300. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Behind the Numbers. My name is Dave Bookbinder, and welcome back to the show where we dig deeper to understand what really matters most in business. Today, we're going to be talking about how to scale your company, and I'm pleased to welcome my guest, Hal Levinson, who is partner and chief visionary officer at Hayfley Flanagan. Hal, welcome to Behind the Numbers. Thank you. Glad to be here. I'm looking forward to this conversation, but before we get started, tell the audience a little bit about what a chief visionary officer does at Hayfley Flanagan. That's a great question. It depends who you ask, I guess. But uh, basically what that is, really my job there is really figure out where the company should be going, why it should go, and come up with a lot of ideas. I have what's called an integrator, who usually shoots down half of my ideas. But I do come up with uh, two or three good ideas and really help drive the company. Also, responsible for bringing in new business and really growing that way. And most importantly, what's the culture of the company? How do we become excellent and stay excellent? That's great. Well, we're going to talk about scaling your business, and culture is important, but I think it all starts with leadership, and that's where mm-hmm. I want to start this conversation. And maybe why don't you define, what does leadership mean to you? Right. So one of the great uh, ways I like to describe leadership is leading other people to become leaders. And really, how do you empower them and really give them the tools so they can lead other people? And also, I think with uh, leadership, there's certain qualities that at least help me and what I look for in other people to become better leaders. And I would say number one is really know who you are and who you're not. And, you know, really focus on your strengths and have really good people both internally and externally around you where you have your blind spots where it can really help you. I'd say the second thing about being a good leader is really um, not being afraid to make decisions. Make decisions, live with them. There's only one bad decision, and that's no decision at all. And you know what? People will follow you. Even if you make a wrong decision, admit it, be vulnerable, and move forward. And I would say the last thing that are, is really follow your intuition. We as leaders or business owners have really, really great intuition. And sometimes you know, people want to have facts and all that. But I can tell you, 95% of the time, if you are a business owner, follow your gut. Your gut will tell you what you need to, what you need to do. Let's unpack some of that just a little bit. Yeah, sure. Jotting down here soon. You said being being aware of what you're not. I mean, who you are and what you're not. Sure. Explain that a little bit more. So for me, I'm um, a good visionary. I see things. I, I can meet people. I like to really develop great relationships. I'm not always the best manager of people. So that's something I, I'm not really great at, something I don't really enjoy. So I have what's called an integrator or a COO. She's excellent at managing, holding people accountable. So that's something she does. 
Other things, you know, a lot of times, uh, details. I don't really like, I'll get bored with details. So I have people there to, you know, read the documents, making sure that we're really covered. How do we protect the firm? How do we protect myself? And I also like both uh, internal people, but then there's, I have a lot. I've been really, really fortunate to have mentors and other people to help me outside of the business. Got it. So I, I try to focus on what I'm really good at. And I had to learn over time, if I did things I don't like or I'm not good at, the best I'm going to be is average. So why even do it? Yeah, and that's a fair point. I mean, I think one of the extreme analogies I can share over my career is when you have uh, the outgoing salesperson responsible for business development, yep. and you suddenly put an administrative burden on them. Sure. Uh, or conversely, somebody who is more of a numbers person, now you're asking them to go out and yeah. make sales calls. It's an anathema to them. So, You know, Dave, that's a great point. Uh, we see that all the time when a lot of people pr promote their best salesperson to be a sales manager, and they fail. And now you lost two things. You, you got someone that can't manage, and you lost your best salesperson. Yeah. So let people do what they do best, including That's ourselves. Great advice. You mentioned intuition. Um, mm. I, I want to really go deeper on mm. that one, because when you talk about intuition, I, I get the sense you're not talking about rely on your experience, me, or, or are you? I think they relate. I think you develop better intuition because of your experiences. Uh, so a lot of times... In our company, people will say, I think we should do this, this, and this. And my gut will say, mm, something's going to happen. And there was, there was times where I wouldn't speak up, and then there was a problem. So now my team always says to me, they said, look, if your gut tells you something else, you have to speak up. Let us know, and your intuition's usually right. So I would really, really recommend all business owners to follow their intuition. You're going to be right 95% of the time. The 5% that you're wrong, just admit it, move on. And you're going to be so much happier and your company's going to be so much better. All right. Well, thank you for that. Um, also jotted down, you mentioned blind spots. And I hear that a lot on this program mm -hmm. and in, in my day-to-day -day life. Hmm. What, what can you share with the audience in terms of some of the more significant blind spots that you've seen that entrepreneurs mm -hmm. have? Um, so I'll speak for myself. So my blind spots, especially when I was younger, you know, um, I was pretty cocky and I was nothing was ever good enough you know and I actually um, was recommended to, to go to uh, a seminar and it was uh, was it Tony what's his name Tony Robbins Tony Robbins right Tony Robbins and he did a, a thing and he said you know what what is your major driver and most people they said okay some people it's driver where they want security or they want a lot of things different. Other people was love and compassion. Mine was significance. So being significant, there's a lot of great things because you make things happen. You're very impactful. But what do you think the bad thing is about if you need to be significant all the time? It kind of makes everyone else feel insignificant. Mm. So that kind of hit me. That was one of my blind spots. And what I had to do is really, um, actually, I cried. I went home and I apologized to my wife and my, and my daughter. They said, we know, and we accept it. And then I went into my office, and we all cried, and I apologized to them, and they said, we know. We're just never going to be, we're never going to scale the company or grow, because it has to be about you. And I'm like, no, no more. It can't. The significance has to be all of us. You know, oh. the firm has to be better than me. So that was one of my blind spots. Um, but, you know, when, when it comes to certain details and other things, I have other blind spots, so I need other people to really point them out to me. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. That's that's pretty deep. And with the blind spots comes the self awareness. Um, 
And when you talk about making tough decisions mm -hmm. or not making tough decisions, hmm. a lot of entrepreneurs feel that they're the only one who can be responsible, that everyone's looking to them as if they know it all and they feel alone. So when you get to that inflection point and you talk about having to make a tough decision, whatever the topic may be, do you, do you tell your clients, your entrepreneur clients that they're best to seek outside counsels, hmm. uh, kick it around with their own personal board of directors, if you will? How do you have them navigate that? So that's a great question. So um, I would say, yeah, definitely have a lot of input. Sometimes we as business owners, again, I'll speak for myself, um, we're asked the people, and we keep on asking the question until we get the answer we really want. So sometimes that's not always the best way of doing it. Um, a lot of business owners, a lot of entrepreneurs, Sometimes the best answers are within your company. But when they start asking people from outside, they give them more credibility than their own people. So I think you have to have a mixture of both and listen to people, get that feedback. But ultimately, you have to make the decision. And people will follow you. If it's wrong, admit it and just move on. You know what? Actually, there's times where I encourage for people to celebrate failure because you're going outside your box. You know, and you learn, as long as you learn from it, who cares? There's nothing probably any of us can, can do that will really cause your company to, to really go under. So go ahead and take chances. But yeah, really make those decisions, get the input. Um, sometimes data is the best thing to do. Other times, again, follow your intuition. Yep. How for folks who are watching and listening and want to learn more about you or how they can work with you, what's the best way for them to get in touch? Sure. They can call me. Um, my cell phone's always on. That's 609. 575-0457. Or if they want, they can actually email me. That's Hal, H-A-L, period, Levinson, L-E-V-E-N-S-O-N, at hfco.com. Sounds good. We're coming close to a commercial break, but before we do, for in about you know, two minutes or so, I want to just um, expound on that topic of failure that you talk about. So failure isn't permanent. Failure is a moment in time. It's been said that failure is just another chance to start again uh, with more wisdom. Uh, talk a little bit about this concept of failure and why some entrepreneurs feel that it's so important that they fail before they can become successful, because I've heard that so often. Ooh, that's an interesting. I don't know if I ever looked to fail, um, but I think you can't be afraid of failure. That's, I think, is more key. So, um, and when what we in, as entrepreneurs... To be a really good entrepreneur, you have to have really good sustainability. You have to really say, you know what, other people say you're going to fail. To me, that makes me more um, encouraging to succeed, actually prove them wrong, yeah, prove you're myself motivated. better. Mot motivates me much yeah. more. So I think it's not, not the need to fail, but not to be afraid of failure and move on. Don't live in the past. Too many people say, oh, I should have done this, I should have done that. Uh, so there's some really good books about, you know, talking about, hey, you know what, live in the present and then dream about the future. And the past is a past. Learn from it and just move on. Right. Sounds good. I think that's a good spot for us to take a break. Hal, you sit tight. You at home watching and listening, don't go anywhere either. We will be right back on Behind the Numbers after this quick break. Today's episode of Behind the Numbers is brought to you by Hayfley Flanagan. Hayfley Flanagan is a full-service accounting firm that's been serving our clients since 1967. We are not your typical accounting firm. 
Our services extend well beyond tax and audit to include valuation services, strategic and succession planning, leadership development, and more. When you work with Hayfleet Flanagan, we help you realize your long-term goals. Learn more at hfco.com or call 856-722-5300. It takes something special to dive into the unknown. To face the unpredictable and unlock the mysteries that await beyond. Something tough, reliable, to fuel your confidence where elements seem to conspire to blur your senses. An unwavering ally, relentlessly field tested by the pioneers who ventured there before. It was constantly perfected over time. For those who push their limits always further and shine an ever new light on our world. The Submariner. And welcome back to Behind the Numbers. I'm Dave Bookbinder, and today we're talking about how to scale your company with my guest, Hal Levinson, who is the partner and chief visionary officer at Hayfleet Flanagan. Hal, welcome back to the second segment here. Um, I want to talk about a concept that I know is critical in terms of scaling a business, something that I talk about, write about, speak about, and that's about the, the role of the employees. Engaged employees mm-hmm. drive business metrics. Right. Let's talk about employee engagement. What does it mean to get employees engaged? And more importantly, how do we create that environment where employees mm-hmm. feel engaged? So we often hear about engagement and accountability. And a lot of times they, they're hand in hand. My belief is, let's talk about accountability first of all. Accountability to me is a byproduct of three things. And that's really, you have to have a really good foundation. And that foundation has to be built on two elements. One is trust. And trust, what I mean, by trust is not that you're going to trust the person to steal or something like that, but I can tell you what I need to tell you, and you know it's coming from a good place that I care, mm-hmm. and you're willing to hear it. The second part is communication, and communication is all about two-way communication. So when I'm communicating with you, I really need that feedback to make sure that you're understanding, and I communicate in a way that really resonates with you, and vice versa, that you're communicating backwards. So now we have both the trust and the communication, 
then you get to the third part, which most people really, really struggle with, and that's healthy conflict. Mm. So, but people really run away from conflict, and what I would suggest, the sooner you deal with conflict, you're dealing with that problem. The longer you wait, it's like an inverse situation where it's gonna be more and more serious, you're gonna build up walls and so forth. But people, unless they feel that they can trust you and you have that good communication, they're not gonna have that conflict. So let's give an example. So to get accountability, someone's not gonna be really accountable. So if you ask one of your employees to say, hey, you know what, let's say you're a salesperson, go sell $2 million. And they say, yes. You know they're not gonna do it, they probably know they're not gonna do it. How are you gonna ever hold them accountable? But if you have healthy conflict, they can come back to you and say, well, you know what, I can't sell $2 million, but I can sell $1.5 million. And I can sell in this niche that we want to go after, and I can have higher profit margins. And then you guys can negotiate. And then you can hold that person accountable. And more importantly, they can hold themselves accountable. And they're committed to that. And it's fair. So that's where you get better accountability. You talk about it, you monitor it, you have metrics. Once you have that, people will want to engage because they feel part of it. They feel like, you know what, this is something that I contribute to, that I'm part of it. And then, like, we talked a little bit about failure and all that. If you allow yourself to be vulnerable, then, um, and which I think is great to me, that's courage. That will give them the courage to be more engaged, but also take more risk. And if you don't punish them for mistakes, but sometimes even reward them, because they took, they made a mistake, but they did it for the best of the company, mm-hmm. you're going to get engaged people. They're going to believe in it. And... Uh, we, we created what we call behavior dynamics, and then I'll give them courage. From courage, you get people to pa- more passion. And once they have passion, we all want purpose, and you have purpose. And that's, I believe that's how you start really with engagement. You have to uh, measure, it takes time. You have to be um, sincere about it. Um, people want to be recognized. And, um, you also have to have boundaries. People like boundaries, believe it or not. They like boundaries. It actually gives them more freedom. So much to unpack there. Um, scribbled a lot of notes here. I want to start back to the beginning where you mentioned the word trust. Mm-hmm. And that really resonates. And In my, my first book, I've got a chapter dedicated to trust and what that means. And one of the examples I talk about is trust in the context of innovation. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to brainstorm, you're going to bring ideas, um, leadership shouldn't be dismissive or shoot them down, make fun of people. Mm-hmm. Um, that would just kill innovation. Um, and Great trust point. is so, so important in building interpersonal dynamics, and especially in the context of business trust. How do you create trust inside mm-hmm. an organization where your employees actually believe that they can trust you? Um, I would say, again, being vulnerable yourself and allow them to challenge you. So in my company... There's probably twice a year I have, I don't call them, but they interventions where they actually say, hey, Hal, you know, you're not doing what you promised to do, you know? And to me, I think that's a great honor because they trust that I'm not going to fire them. They they trust that they can speak up, that I'm going to listen to them. And I can trust that it gives me more trust in them because I know if I am not doing what I'm supposed to be doing, that they're going to help tell me. So I, I think number one thing is if you want to develop trust, it has to start at the top. Yeah. And you know, you gotta do what you say you're doing. You know, when you when you make mistakes fail. And um, really trust in your people, believe in them because you can say you trust them, but people can feel if you don't trust them. 
Yeah, and when you have that environment of trust, that allows you to have that healthy conflict where your employees can call you out. Uh, even though you may outrank them, they feel comfortable in that. The, and, the and that takes, I, I don't want to overstep my bounds there, but that takes time. Yeah, of course. You know, I mean, you know, day one, they're not going to do that. You still have, even if you, you, my job's not to be their friends, but, you know, I do like people to like me and, and respect me and so forth. But we always have that title. So that does intimidate people. Sure. So you have to be aware of that and try to break that down so yeah. that, that they don't feel that intimidation. Yeah, I think trust takes, like you said, time to build. It's about mm-hmm. doing what you say you're going to do, mm-hmm. being consistent so that folks really can start to literally trust that they know who you are and what you're about. Um, you mentioned being vulnerable. That's a, a term that we read about a lot in leadership books. Mm-hmm. What does it mean to be vulnerable, Hal? Admit when you're wrong, admit when you don't know something, um, go deeper, you know, so vulnerability, there's, uh, Brene Brown has some great books on that, and, um, you know, keep your ego in, intact. So one of my mentors was so humble, and I try to do that, there's a lot of times I don't, but I, I also find when, when I'm um, advising or consulting with other people, when I'm vulnerable, it allows them to be vulnerable, so I can find out what's really bothering them. So I, I think being vulnerable and sharing your successes as well as your failures, that, that really helps other people and helps yourself. Yeah, one of the things I've heard you say many times, I think it's a Maya Angelou quote, that uh, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care, and right. I think that's so important. I, I love that. I, to me, the number one thing... Um, that I want our firm always to be is a caring firm that we really care. When people know that you care, like you, you know, you can, you can actually make a mistake and they'll forgive you. But if they don't think you care, you can't even make an error. You're done, you know. But caring is is everything. You're going to go the extra mile. They're going to go the extra mile, and you do things without expecting, which was really hard for me. Anything in return, that's caring. Yeah. Let's talk about some of the roadblocks. I mean, you've worked with many entrepreneurs over the course of your career. What have you seen as some of the major roadblocks that are preventing businesses from scaling? So I'd say usually, uh, it's funny because you, you talked about um, being alone. So that used to be my tagline, you're not alone. But um, I think number one roadblocks is usually starts with the entrepreneur the leader, where a lot of companies' ego and greed gets mm. in the way. They're um, afraid to make mistakes. Like you said, with innovation, um, you know, they live in the past. It, it's interesting. We have what's called a change curve. And when uh, a company first starts, they take a lot of risks because they have nothing to lose. Right. But as they get older and they, and they build up wealth or they build up a nice company, they start taking less risk. And that's like the biggest risk because the world's changing. If you don't change with it, you're in trouble. So I'd say definitely with the leader, then you have to build a really strong management team. Again, with maybe the areas where don't I always try to hire people that are kind of opposite of me because that's my blind spots, and so that that they can look at it and they can help. Um, so build a really good, strong management team. Have a strategy. Keep on looking at, it, make sure it's working. When it's not working, change. It's okay to change. It's okay to say no. We have to be flexible, and um, you know, rely on your people internally, but also people ex- externally, and embrace change, even technology. Um, technology is here to stay, so embrace it. And so much there. So change, technology, risk, and fear. They're all in, in one 
pot of soup, I think, um, a lot of the times. So when you talk about risk-taking, what kinds of major risks do you see entrepreneurs struggling with? Because, you know, risk could be deciding, should I hire that individual? Should I enter this market? Should I create that product? Should I pursue funding? I would funding? say the number one risk usually deals with their people. They don't like firing people. You know, so when someone, when they outgrow a person or the company outgrows that person, they're, they're really confronting that's all that, that confrontation and saying, you know what, you either have to change, give them a new position, or you have to move on from them. So that's a fear. A lot of people have a fear, um, fear of being alone, fear of hiring somebody new that how long is it going to take to develop them. You know, so fear, and, and I love the, it's not my acronym, but it's uh, false expectations about reality. Just think about that. Most of the things you fear never happen. That is true. So it's, I, I love that, you know, so I, I don't live in fear anymore. There's times, you know, we all probably do, but um, I'm very comfortable now the same, you know what, it is what tomorrow is tomorrow. It's fine. Yeah, if you're living in fear, you're living in the future, you're not living in today. Or in the past. Yeah, you can drag that in. Um, control um, is, is something that entrepreneurs have to face. Giving up control, hmm. um, bringing on the next member of the leadership team, uh, focusing on, as you said in the first segment, the, the things that you do best so that others can pick up for your blind spots. How hard is it for entrepreneurs to relinquish control? Oh, for all of us, including myself, it's extremely, I'm, I'm, you know, hard to, to, to uh, relinquish control. And I don't think you should fully let go of control. You need controls. But it's to do, um, trust and it's the uh, degree of control that you need. So to me, control, by letting go more, you can have more control. Because you have the right people in the right places, have better processes. You have to know from yourself what you need from either metrics or reporting. So you're in control, but you're giving up authority to other people. So I, I'm never going to suggest anyone to let go of control. But let go of your ego and trust other people. Actually, sometimes you get more control. Great point. Folks who are watching and listening, how if they want to get more insights from you, what's the best way for them to connect with you? Sure. They can call me on my cell phone, 609 575-0457, or they can email me, Hal, H-A-L, period, Levinson, L-E-V-E-N-S-O-N, at hfco.com. Thank you. So you've got the word visionary officer in your title. So visionary thinking big, as you mentioned uh, at the introduction. When you think about the entrepreneurs that you've worked with over the course of your career, are, are they thinking too big or are they thinking too small? I always probably would say most of them think too small, you Interesting. know, think outside the box. But being an entrepreneur, being a business owner, you don't even, a lot of them are not visionaries and they're very successful. So you don't have to be a visionary to be an owner, a business owner. You can be very technical. You can be very good with your, but you do need to surround yourself with a visionary. And a visionary also has to surround himself with someone that can actually execute and monitor. So you need both. Um, I think it also depends on the industry. Sometimes you have to shrink to grow. So some people are thinking so big, they never get anything done. And then other people think too small that the world goes by and they resent it. You mentioned ego and greed before, and I wanted to get into that just a little bit sure. here. 
because I think a lot of entrepreneurs, you, you can't help but feel the ego. And is it ego? Is it pride? Because it's, it's their baby and it's mm-hmm. their thing and it's their lifelong dream and ambition. Um, how do you have them check the ego? Um, you challenge them. So when our coaches or when I coach somebody, you really have to challenge them and say, you know, why are you doing that? The best question is ask why. And the second best question is ask why again. And third one is why. Time you get to the third question, they're going to start looking at themselves like, I don't know why I do that. You know, maybe it's just my ego. Interesting. And once they admit it, they can move on. But most people are afraid to really challenge people to a deeper level. Is greed really something you see much of with entrepreneurs? Um, I think the way it depends the way you define greed. It's not always money about greed. It could be power. Mm. So that could be greed. So it's the way you define greed. You know, I think that there's times where you get greedy even with competition. You get greedy with a market. So you have to, it's good to, have, you need an ego. If you don't have an ego, you're not going to succeed as a business owner because you are going to have a lot of challenges. And you need to be competitive, but you have to, I believe, keep your greed in check. Such a balancing act for entrepreneurs to be able to handle all these different, sometimes competing uh, emotions or personas, if you will. Mm -hmm. Hal, we've got just about two minutes or so to go here, but I wanted to give you the final word and and speak to the entrepreneurs who are listening. Um, What's your best advice, whether it's things they should be doing more of, things they should be doing less of? I would say, you know, I love entrepreneurs. I, I believe entrepreneurs are the backbone of America. And I would tell entrepreneurs, follow their passion, follow their heart, follow their intuition. Just keep on going for it. People tell you you can't do something. There's nothing wrong with proving them wrong. Prove them wrong. I think that's a great mic drop moment. I think we're going to drop the mic right there. Hal, thank you so much for joining us today on Behind the Numbers. It's been really a pleasure. Oh, thank you. Thank you, folks, for watching. Today, we've been talking about how to scale your business with Hal Levinson, who is a partner and chief visionary officer at Hayfley Flanagan. And I can't thank Hayfley Flanagan enough. They are sponsoring today's episode. Be sure to check them out, hfco.com. I want to thank the Big Cheese for running the board today. I also want to thank you, the audience. We can't do the show without you. Please hit that subscribe button. Stay in touch with all that we're up to. We usually drop an episode every week. Again, my name is Dave Bookbinder, and I'm the one that my clients turn to when they want to know what their most important assets are worth. You can always find me on LinkedIn. I'm always happy to have a conversation. That's all we have for today, folks. We will see you next time on Behind the Numbers. Take care.